Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Let me welcome those of you who may be joining us online as we are in week five of our Kingdom Is series as we are learning about the uh, virtues and the values of God's kingdom and how they are to grow within those that are citizens of His kingdom, disciples of Christ and uh, Again, we're in week five. So if you're new with us, if this is your first time, we are excited to have you. Again, if you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. It is an honor and a blessing to uh, share the Word of God with you and to worship uh, Jesus as supreme. And so a quick recap just to kind of bring us all up to speed. As we've looked at these kingdom values and virtues, we said... The kingdom is about grace. In week one, we looked at the kingdom is built on mercy. The kingdom is obtained through sacrifice. And last week, Pastor Tyler taught on the kingdom is about faithfulness. And so we're going to continue that, that series. And we're going to look at Matthew 13. So if you have a Bible and you want to join me in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Today we're going to learn the kingdom is meant to grow. And as you're turning there, let me kind of just remind us of the setting that's happening um, with Jesus teaching these parables. Uh, he's sitting in a boat off the shore in the Sea of Galilee as the crowds have followed him and they've you know, come and they're sitting on the beach and Jesus is teaching a, about the kingdom and the kingdom ways and and it's important for us, before we get into these parables, it's important for us to understand the way that the Jewish people thought about the kingdom, and they thought about the Messiah, or the king, right? It's, it's not much different than maybe some of the questions that you and I have asked, or maybe we're asking today, and we saw this, and that's why we're here. Questions like, how, how can we describe the kingdom of God? And hopefully, by the time we're finished with this series, you'll have a, a really good way to describe the kingdom of God, like what it's like and, and where is it located and, and, and who can enter into the kingdom and will, will it be, when has it begun? Has it begun? Has it already started? Those, those are questions that, that we know that the, the people who are following Jesus were asking, were wondering because they had this expectation or this built up narrative of what the kingdom is to be or what it was going to be. And so Jesus sits down and he begins to teach them. Because they had a misunderstanding of the nature of God's kingdom. They fully expected the king or the Messiah to return and to overthrow the Roman Empire. And in that overthrowing of the empire, that he would set up his kingdom and the power would be given back to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. And so Jesus, in understanding that's what they believed about the kingdom, he began to teach the kingdom is, especially... Uh, recorded in the book of Matthew, but, but really here in chapter 13, we see many of these parables teaching about the kingdom. So here's my hope today. My hope is as we look at this particular value of the kingdom, this virtue of the kingdom, the kingdom is meant to grow. My hope is that when you and I leave today, or those of you who turn off the, the computer today, that we are 
encouraged. We are encouraged by what Jesus teaches here, that we are, again, hope-filled because we have a greater sense of God's sovereignty, meaning God's in control. Even if we don't see it, even, even if it doesn't look like he is, he's in control and he's good. And that we see that as we look at these parables as Jesus teaches us, and we have this confidence from what he teaches us. So Matthew 13, 31 to 33. Two very short parables. Jesus said, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. Verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, we love stories of how small, seemingly insignificant you know, beginnings eventually turn into something great. I, I believe we do. Let me give you a couple of examples. Jeff Bezos, you may know that name. You may have heard that name. He started an online bookstore out of his garage in 1994. And today, Amazon.com is the largest online retailer in the world. Fascinating. Fascinating. Here's another one that you may not know. In 1969, a 16-year-old by the name of Michael Kittredge melted some crayons and made a gift for his mom, a scented candle. She showed some uh, neighbor friends of hers, and they also wanted Michael to make candles for them. Four years later, he took over an old mill in Massachusetts, and today the Yankee Candle Company is one of the largest manufacturers of scented candles in the United States. There's so many of these stories, right? Amazing stories. You actually might be part of one. It might be your story, your family business, or, or whatever it may be. But those that we just read and all the others that we just read, there is still one greater. There's still one better than all the others, which Jesus teaches us within our parables. In our first parable in verses 31 and 32, it's the parable of the mustard seed. And our first parable stresses the small and seemingly insignificant beginnings of the kingdom in Jesus' ministry. Now, I want you to understand as we look at this with the backdrop of who's hearing him teach about this, especially his disciples. The seemingly insignificant beginnings of the kingdom in Jesus' early ministry. His kingdom came in a way, again, they did not expect. The king came, yes, the king came, but the king was born into a poor family, placed in a manger, lived in kind of an insignificant and small town around Galilee, and was raised a carpenter. Most of his own people didn't even believe in him or his message. That, that didn't mean that the kingdom hadn't arrived. It had. It had arrived. And we, we do well to remember that. In his ministry, it started. So the first thing we see in this parable, we see Jesus remind, remind us that we need to be careful about how we measure the outward growth of God's kingdom. We need to be careful about that. It's tempting for us to look at the outward way in which the kingdom manifests itself, to, to see the outward evidences of the kingdom and to measure God's effectiveness simply by numbers or size or outward success. I know you've heard the saying, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, right? 
That works as well here. I mean, how often, though, have you and I, in looking around at the world and the things happening in the world, wondered, questioned, maybe even to a point where we doubted if God's still on the throne and is his kingdom still moving? Is it still, is it still growing? Is, is this parable not in play anymore? Is it still active? Is it still effective? No doubt that's how some of the disciples were thinking, right? And, and this parable, again, teaches us to, to be careful about estimating God's work in that way. That, that we think that God's only at work when we see these big, impressive things, these big, glorious things. And Jesus is warning us. He's saying, be careful that you estimate God's work like that because, because of the discourage that may come as we, we don't see that. Our text, again, takes up the subject of that outward growth, right? Because sometimes the growth seems to be insignificant. This mustard seed took time to grow into that tree, right? Imagine with me the disciples sitting there, Jesus on the boat. Some of them are probably in the boat. Some of them are on the, on the shore with all the other people. And he's telling this parable. And there's only a few devoted ones, 12 in the inner circle, maybe 120 or so in the broader circle of faith, faithful disciples, meaning they believe and they trust in Jesus. They're following. They've given up everything to follow after him. As they followed him, Jesus is now being opposed by the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He's being opposed by the scribes. And even the large crowds that are there who are following his ministry, many in those crowds do not accept his claims as being the Messiah. I mean, they find what he's teaching interesting, and that's why they follow him. But they don't embrace him, and they don't receive him as the Messiah. The disciples would have been scratching their heads, right? It's like, wait, I thought, I thought when you came, and we're believing you to be the king and the Messiah, that this is how this was going to go. You're going to overthrow, you're going to set up a kingdom, you're going to rule, and we're going to rule with you. And so that's why Jesus leads us into this parable. I mean, they were waiting for that kingdom to begin with a burst of glory. And how often in our own lives are we waiting for God to do something so magnanimous that it makes it real or seem active? It looks like God's kingdom is insignificant to them. And so Jesus' message to the disciples as it is to us is like, listen, don't judge the seed by its size. Don't judge the seed by its size. Don't look at my ministry and think that because outwardly it looks insignificant in comparison to to what you were expecting or what you thought it would be, that it's not having a tremendous impact, that it's not having an eternal impact. Same thing for our lives. He's saying, listen, don't, don't think that because what I'm doing now looks unimpressive in the eyes of the world that, that something unimpressive is going on. When Jesus came to earth and put on flesh, it's impressive. It's impressive. It's glorious. There's words in our language. We don't even have words to really, to really describe just that. Of Jesus coming and his, and his ministry beginning and his kingdom beginning to grow. You okay? Remember the work is going on is what he's saying. And the work that's going on is significant. It's life changing. It's world changing. It's his eternal work. It's not temporal. So be encouraged is what he's saying to them. Listen, disciples, he's saying to us, be encouraged. Be encouraged. 
It's happening. Why did they need to learn that? Because they weren't seeing this glory and majesty of the kingdom as it began. They also had a misunderstanding about the kingdom because they thought when the kingdom comes, they would, they would be in power with him. And so when they would say, Lord, when your kingdom comes, and they would have these interactions with Jesus, and hey, when your kingdom comes, now, they have resigned themselves to the fact that it didn't come in the moment he appeared, right? It didn't come in the moment that he landed, that, that maybe it was still to come. And, and so when they would say, Lord, when your kingdom comes, the implication is that in just a couple of weeks, like three, four weeks, we know it's not right now, but we know you're getting there. It's coming. And when it comes, see, they still hadn't in their mind understood that it had come and it was beginning and it was going to grow. But when they would say, when your kingdom comes, what in, in that implication of like in a few weeks, they would follow with, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in positions of honor and power when you set up your kingdom? To which Jesus would respond to them, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you don't know what you're asking because you don't know, you don't know the form in which my kingdom is going to be displayed. They had no idea what was coming for Jesus. And in, at the end of our time together, as we look at Jesus crucified on the cross, as we remember him today in communion, we see, as we look at Jesus on the cross, there were two crosses beside him. And who were on the crosses beside him but thieves and robbers, crucified. We see that's the picture, the kind of kingdom that Jesus was bringing in. And disciples just didn't understand. They didn't realize the suffering, the persecution, and even the death that was going to be involved in following Jesus faithfully in the kingdom. They were caught up in the outward things, the impressive displays of power. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a kingdom to come in that form, and Jesus saying, listen, don't be deceived by outward evidences. How, how real is that for us today? When you see me on that cross... It may look like my kingdom is insignificant. It may look like my kingdom is even defeated. But please know that in that very moment, that moment is my hour of triumph. Victory, which is here. It's here now, and it's coming in fullness. We are privileged to be in the already but not yet. We are privileged to understand this from our, from our place some 2,000 years past that. Isn't this the nature, though, of gospel ministry? As we walk with Jesus, it's vital for us to recognize that ultimately, ultimately, we cannot measure the impact of our kingdom service, of our love for others, of our passion for the gospel by outward things. It's easy to do, but let's not have our eyes glazed over by impressive things or waiting for impressive things on the outside. 
Because if we do, we, we might find ourselves discouraged. We let our heart be looking for that and we find it discouraging because we don't see it in those grand and, 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 and majestic ways. And, and so by looking at the kingdom, we see that the kingdom is still doing something spectacular. Even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't have the front page news, even when it isn't all over social media, but the kingdom is doing something spectacular. It's doing something magnificent because the kingdom is at work even when we don't see it happening. That's Jesus' message of the parable of the mustard seed. And he's going to talk even more about our part in that in the second parable. But let me point out, in verses 31 and 32, the mustard seed. Jesus says it's the smallest of the garden seeds planted in Palestine. Now here, this text is sometimes used by critics and skeptics to say, look, the Bible isn't true. There's, there's a statement here that Jesus made that's false. It's not the smallest seeds. Now, I'm not a gardener. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mess around with that. It feels really challenging and difficult. Okay. But, but what they fail to understand is that when Jesus said this, the smallest seed in that area for these people would have been the mustard seed. And we're told that in that land, this mustard seed grows to be the largest of garden plants. See the hope? It may start seemingly insignificant. It may look like it's not doing anything. And there, obviously, if you've ever grown anything, you know there are things happening, right, underneath the soil as it's starting to come up. And that's what his, his point is using this, that the, this, this tiny seed is going to grow into being a, a tree like 10 to 15 feet and spreading out so, that, so it's so big that so birds can come and nest in it. So, the, so from the tiniest seed comes the largest of garden bushes. The story is made to point out that the kingdom's outward manifestation, although it may not look like it's doing anything like the mustard seed, it may appear to be insignificant, but it grows. And it grows in amazing ways. And ultimately, ultimately, it's going to be the greatest, largest kingdom. Be encouraged is what he's saying. Be encouraged. Speaking to those followers who were considered to be insignificant as well. The disciples were not, not looked upon. Those 12 that gave up everything to follow after Jesus were not like the, at the top of the list in the nation of Israel. They weren't, they weren't the ones that you would list off as important or powerful or influential. And so he's speaking this to those who, considered, who were considered to be insignificant in the minds of Israel. And they understandably longed which is probably why they asked the questions, can we sit at your side in power and honor? Because they hadn't experienced that. They longed for that immediate revolutionary change to come about. They desired that great outpouring of the Spirit that would bring the multitudes to Jesus. And Jesus' message to them in this parable, His message to us in the parable of the mustard seed is, be patient. Be patient. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. Keep on praying. Keep on serving, working. Simply keep on being faithful. We're not perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. What He is calling us to is being faithful. God's kingdom will grow. 
What I have begun will be complete. Be encouraged. And as it grows, it's going to grow into the greatest kingdom. Be faithful. Run the race. Persevere. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't stop. And don't measure outwardly. I believe that a long life of faithfulness is better than a short burst of the miraculous when it comes to our testimony. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've spent time with those who have walked with Jesus for a long period of time through some of the darkest valleys that you would ever experience or understand that, that we could face in life. And yet they, they kept their eyes. They kept their faith. They kept walking. They kept going. They kept holding on to Christ. And that is inspiring. It's encouraging. It produces hope in us who find ourselves in similar valleys. So Jesus is saying, keep going. Don't judge the effectiveness of the kingdom by its outward appearance because it may be more powerful than it appears to be. And we know that to be true. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ has never stopped advancing, no matter what's happened to it, over our history, over the history of the gospel. Every time someone's tried to put an end to it, try to put the flame out, it's continued to be resilient, it's continued to persevere, it's continued to grow and expand. And so when you and I look around at the world and it just seems like, man, is God still in control? Is God still really doing this thing? Is our, is our faith, are people being saved? Are people being transformed? Is this really happening? Sometimes we can think, it doesn't look like it. And Jesus is like, listen, it is. It is. We live in a time where bigger is better. Or that which is spectacular and impressive. That, that's the stuff that seems like that's significant. This, this leaves little things, ah. We can be roped into that. I sometimes, I mean, it, we, none of us are immune to that. I, I find myself sometimes needing to hear these spectacular reports, right, with big flashy numbers and results. This many people were saved. This many people, you know, were baptized. All those things. This, this amount was, all those kind of things. And Jesus is saying, he's warning us against that kind of triumphalism. He, he's like, the power of the kingdom is not in its outward form or size or appearance. We serve in the kingdom. And then we sort of stop and wait to see God's immediate result because that's the it's that instant gratification world, right? But that's not how the kingdom work is. Like you know, if you've ever planted something in the ground and you sat back, you're going to sit there for a while before it starts to come out. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, the kingdom is working. The kingdom is growing. In fact... It's going to be the greatest kingdom. So be encouraged. I also believe that for disciples of Christ, we never, we will probably never in this life ultimately see all the fruit of our ministry. On this side of eternity, I ultimately, I believe that we will not see all the fruit of our ministry 
And sometimes that can be discouraging. Sometimes that can be, you know, a, a point where we just wonder, is this, is this really happening? It's hard sometimes in this life to see any fruit of ministry. Because the great fruit of ministry is not that we do want this, but it's not all-encompassing that we want hundreds and hundreds of people coming to just hear about Jesus, to just hear about Jesus and His salvation. The great fruit of our ministry is not some outward form of some majestic appearance, right? The fruit of our ministry that we want to see happening is people saved. Salvation coming through a belief and confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. A turning from sin, being brought to Christ and and being built up in Him. Transformed, changed, right? And we can't always see that with our eyes. We can't. But it can be happening all around us. Now sometimes we can see people who, who, who look like that they're following after, right? And, and, they, and they're really not, which, which eventually they start to veer off. We can see those who, who look like they're interested in the truth, but they're really not interested in growing in grace. That happens all the time. So what our fruit is and what we really want to see is, is that salvation, that transformation. And, and so much of our ministry, I don't think we're going to see in this life. I think when we're, when we're home with Him, God will give us the grace of knowing the impact that you and I had. And that, that should motivate, that should drive our faithfulness and our trust to keep carrying on. The greatest ministries carried on by our church, CFCC, will never be able to see the result in this life. Because of the evidence of them is spiritual evidence, and we, we're not always able to see. It's not always apparent to the eye. It's very interesting to know that Jesus was encouraging them listen, it's gonna keep going. Just stay the course. When you are tempted to assume that it's not happening, when you're tempted to assume that the kingdom isn't growing, isn't moving, that the movement has stopped or something has ended it or there's a blockage and it's not, it's not moving outward. When you're tempted to, to believe that because you don't see anything visibly, right? There's nothing impressive visibly. The mustard seed teaches us that the kingdom grows. Jesus it doesn't lie. It grows and it's growing And when you find your place, find yourself in that place where you think maybe it's not, he says, keep going. Keep going. Be encouraged to keep going. Which leads us to verse 33, the next parable. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So in this parable... Jesus is going to teach disciples that we, are, we, we must mark the powerful inward workings of the kingdom. The values, the convictions, the beliefs, all of those things are to be working within us. We say here a lot that God's going to do a work in us, that he may do a work through us. And so, so for us to keep going, to see the movement in the kingdom, to keep going is for us to understand the power of God's working within us so that it may work through us. We notice that the kingdom works within, right? 
in powerful ways. And that's one of the reasons why he's saying sometimes you won't see it because it's working within. And don't be, don't be deceived to think because you don't see it working outward that it's not working within. And I don't know if you noticed as I read those two parables or maybe if you have looked at chapter 13, there's another parable, the parable of the sower. And it's interesting that in the parable of the sower, the parable of the leaven, and the parable of the mustard seed, the thing that causes the kingdom to grow does not naturally reside within us. It doesn't naturally reside within us. It has to be implanted in us. You know, sometimes we may find ourselves, and maybe you've said this, I know over, over my lifetime I've definitely said this to others who are, you who are having problems, hey, you need to look, you need to look within and find that answer within. But I was naive. I was ignorant to the truth of Scripture. The answer is not within here he's showing us the answer was without. Now, now when he plants the answer within, then we look within, right? But he, the answer comes from the gospel being planted within us, in our heart, in our lives, to be transformed as it saves us. And we don't, we don't get everything, we don't get clean to take a bath, right? You take a bath to get clean. So we, we receive that, that seed, that planting, that, that, that offering from God to be planted within us. We receive that and the spirit begins to re- regenerate, begins to transform from the inside of our out so that we are saved and eternity is our future. And we have fellowship with the Father. And so in each of these parables, the gospel of the kingdom is implanted like a seed from without. And it's planted in the soil of a, of a humble heart and it grows once it's planted. It grows And that teaches us that whenever Jesus' sovereign rule enters our hearts, it happens from Him. And we can't save ourselves. We receive His salvation. Now, this parable 11 reminds us the gospel works from the inside out. The the woman placed the leaven in the flower. Until it was all leavened and then it was seen as it rose. It reminds us that the gospel permeates every experience of life. Not just a part. Right? As you, as you look at that, that one verse in this parable, the leaven was put into the bread and it affected every aspect of the bread, is what he says. Till all was leavened. Every aspect. It just wasn't a part of the bread that was transformed. It was all of it. The whole of it was transformed. Now, Jesus teaches this parable to his disciples so that they would understand that, that that in in their response to his invitation to believe and to trust and have that gospel planted within them, that it's going to transform all of their life, not just a part of their life, but all of their life. Which is true for us to understand that we just don't add Jesus to our agenda. We don't add Jesus to a list of things that are important. We don't, we don't put Jesus at one in our spouse or our friends or our work or our dog or our cat. Whatever. We don't, we don't list them out like that. No, when Jesus comes in, it's brought within us. The Spirit begins from the core, from our soul, to begin to change everything about us so it works itself out in what we do, what we, how we live, the decisions we make 
make, the ways we give, the ways we serve, every aspect. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't touch or influence. And he does that every day. And he taught that to his disciples as he teaches that to us is because they were fixated on this external form of the kingdom. They had forgotten that it begins from the inside. And sometimes we can forget that. I like the way one writer put it. He said, and so Jesus tells them a shocking and ironic tale. These men, disciples, had read the passages of the Old Testament which spoke of God's kingdom being set up and David being set on the throne to rule over the nation. And here's, here's the Lord Jesus, and he's teaching them about the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, well, like a woman making bread. And, and you can imagine that would, how, how that would have been shocking to some of them. I mean, again, they, they understood it from the king and a king sitting on a throne. And he had this whole kingdom, right? And they would have said, what do you mean the kingdom of heaven is like a woman making bread? That the kingdom of heaven is far more glorious than that. Well, well, it is glorious, but, but the Lord Jesus means to use a common illustration, a humble illustration to drive a truth home to the disciples. He says, look, you know the kingdom of heaven works just like a woman baking bread. She, she puts leaven in the meal and it causes the bread to rise. And that's, and that's just how the kingdom of heaven works. And he's pointing this parable to his disciples to shock them to attention and understanding of this principle that the kingdom works from the inside out and it affects every aspect of our being. That was going to be so, so important and needed for them as they began to minister to the multitudes. And Jesus was saying, saying to us, we don't have to draw attention to ourselves in doing the work of the kingdom. That's what they were looking for. He's saying we don't have to draw attention to ourselves in doing the work of the kingdom. That's humility. He was saying the gospel does not brag. That's humility. The kingdom does not advertise itself. That's humility. The kingdom does not draw attention to itself as it works. That's humility. It works faithfully. And it is impressive and spiritual, even if it's insignificant in the eyes of men. Humble faithfulness. We do well to constantly, daily humble ourselves as Jesus humbled himself for that is the soil that God does his greatest work through us. The gospel kingdom permeates every area of our life. It leaves nothing unchanged. And it doesn't just transform like our title. Like we, we don't come into a relationship with Christ and we just take on a title. And everything else be, stays the same and it's ours. No. The other thing it doesn't do, it doesn't necessarily take you from doing what you're doing now and put you into another place. And what I mean by that is every time a person is saved by God's good grace, they don't stop being, insert occupation. 
and become a missionary or a preacher. I will, I will confess that when I first started in the ministry many years ago, that, that I, I wondered, I questioned, I, again, was ignorant and, and, and naive to because I, I thought, man, why isn't every Christian who comes into a relationship with Jesus giving up all of those other worldly work and, and titles and jobs and all those things and becoming preachers and missionaries and all of those things? Because I thought, that, you know, barring that I know that as, as Christians, we are ambassadors of, of Christ, right? I get that. But, but I wondered about that. And then it made sense as I continued to study, God continued to reveal and God continued to transform that, that, that this isn't how it's supposed to work because as all of us became preachers and all of us became teachers and all of us just sat in our holy bubble inside the walls of a church, if all the Christians just gathered together, who's telling the ones who aren't? Who's out there? We talk about being light. If all the light is here, if everything stays here, and all of us did that, who's taking the light to the dark? Because there's still dark. Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. I really believe, I really believe, and I've been more and more convinced of this over the years, that those who aren't in vocational ministry but are in love with Jesus and are being transformed from the inside out have a much greater effect of light for the kingdom than I'll ever have. Because God has placed you to be that light within the darkness around you. The kingdom transforms us from within. It changes our attitude. It changes our outlook. It changes our worldview, our purposes, our goals our motivations. And again, it may leave you right where you're at in terms of vocation. You may continue to be whatever, insert occupation, but you are now being transformed from within. You will now be led by the Holy Spirit guiding you. You are to be the light in the dark. And that comes from humility. And so Jesus says, listen, be encouraged. You are a part as a disciple, the kingdom, the already but not yet. It's never stopped growing. It's never stopped advancing. We get to be active participants in the greatest kingdom the world will ever know and eventually ever see in his timing. It's growing. It's victorious. And he is faithful to finish this work and so with these words, Jesus emphasizes that the kingdom truly is at work to his disciples. He emphasizes that to us. He emphasizes the fact and the truth that God is accomplishing his purposes even when we struggle to see it. So be encouraged. The kingdom will succeed. It's divinely ordained. And for you and I to be faithful and to keep faithfully walking home trusting and depending and as we do that we keep our eyes on Jesus which is what we're going to do in communion so if you want to pull out your communion cup go ahead and pull off that top little piece if you are a disciple of Christ if you are his this is yours as you pull that little wafer out 
Have you ever wondered why Jesus commanded this of his followers? Have you ever wondered why, why Jesus would want us to pause, to stop what we're doing, to, to remove distractions, to, to come together and to look back, reflect back, think back, remember back to what happened on the cross? Have you ever wondered why this is a part of the ordinance of a biblical teaching, Christ-centered, loving church, that, that this is involved in that? Have you ever wondered why? I believe it's because Jesus knew. He knew that we we're going to need a regular time putting our eyes back on him. There are a lot of voices and there are a lot of things and there are a lot of brokenness and hurt and pain and betrayal and deceptiveness. There are a lot of things within our world that could pull us away and, and, and move our eyes off of Jesus into those places and into those things that we see around us or see right in front of us. And when our eyes aren't on Jesus anymore, they're on those things. And in those things, we can be discouraged. We can be depressed. We can think of all the uncertainty. We can doubt. We can become a skeptic or a cynic in that moment. And Jesus knew that we're going to need a regular time of coming back and looking at what he finished on the cross. Because sometimes we may not think that the kingdom is growing, the kingdom's working, because it sure doesn't look like it doesn't feel like it and Jesus would want us to stop and say yes it is yes it is I finished the work why why would Jesus go to the cross that wasn't going to be finished if there was still something else to do so when we look at this wafer and we see and we understand as a symbol of his body broken for us hanging on a cross we we are encouraged, we're encouraged, we're strengthened, we're filled with hope once again, and our eyes are clear that no matter what, no matter what we may think is going to defeat us, that Jesus screams, no. There is no defeat in Christ. And when you and I are in him, we have his victory. And so we look at this and we pause and we think back, even with our eyes closed, and we think of his body hanging. Giving everything, not holding anything back so that you and I will have a path home something to keep our eyes on to keep us centered let's take this together if you want to go ahead and tear off that little tab that opens up the bottom half and you begin to look at that juice again a symbol a representation of the precious blood of Christ was poured out not because he deserved it 
not because he was guilty, not because there was sin, but but as simple as I can say this, for the Father's glory and for our good, there was no other way for you and I to be washed clean, to have our sins forgiven. And again, When we go through life, there are moments, there are times, maybe even seasons where we may question and we may wonder, is God, is God still able? Is He still on the throne? Is He still moving? Is He still active? The world looks like it gets darker and darker or more broken and broken. And is God still doing this thing? And I hope today that you're encouraged as you join me unite with me as we take communion together that that God that God is still in control that he is still moving and working and even though we may not see it he is still saving people he is still transforming people he is still calling people because what Jesus did on the cross was not to have like a certain point that it stopped but to be be forever until we're all home. In Revelation, in Revelation 4, if you were to read the last book of the Bible and you get to Revelation 4, you'll, you'll get to a part of Scripture where it talks about the scroll and that there was no one worthy to open the scroll, that no one could open the scroll. And if you were to stop there, it had been incredibly depressed. Like there would have been no hope. We'd have been hopeless. There would have been still lost. We would still been in the darkness. There would have been no light. Praise God that it didn't stop there because there was a lamb that was worthy. And you keep reading through four and in five. And, and when the lamb who turns to the lion is able, he's not only able, but he's willing. He opens the scroll and the multitudes begin to sing worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. And if you were to continue to go through the end of Revelation, what Jesus completed on the cross, what he's doing now in our midst, what he will continue to do until we're home, Revelation describes that home. And it is spectacular. It is glorious. So may we not be discouraged may we keep our eyes on Christ who finished the work let's take this together Father we are grateful and my hope and prayer is that you encourage those who need the encouragement all of us really to know that even when we don't see it you're moving you're working that we are a part of that as we continue to be humble submissive to your work within us as it works through us as we look at others to know that you're working you're at work and we can trust and depend and find strength your finished work. God, thank you that no matter what comes, when we be pressed in, no matter what comes, we're never defeated. 
this in Jesus' name. Amen.